Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending bright daily capsules, powered by Neurobloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors, available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While Sharp is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius Podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the uh, you know the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up. And check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going, and I love coffee. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast, now part of the Finding Genius Foundation. I have Dr. Buffy Lloyd Krejci. She's the author of Broken, How the Global Pandemic Uncovered a Nursing Home Industry in Need of Repair and Heroic Staff Fighting for Change. So we're going to talk about that and a bit about her background. So Buffy, thanks for coming. Hey, thanks, Richard. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, tell me a bit about your background and then um, what about the pandemic um, kind of like hit you in the face and told you you needed to address issues surrounding it? Yeah, so I've been working in healthcare for nearly 30 years when I was 17. That kind of gives away my age in different capacities. But most recently in the last, well, since 2009, I worked, helped with the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. I was working in a hospital and um, really started focusing more on infectious diseases. I have a background in applied mathematics and epidemiology, biomedical informatics, and my doctorate degrees in public health and epidemiology. So I've very much been focused over over 10 years, over a decade on really utilizing mathematics and data to understand how infectious diseases transfer in populations and and then really more focused in the last six years on the nursing home industry itself. Well, yeah, what about the nursing home industry uh, 
caught your eye and what, what are some of the big issues in it? Yeah, I was working for a CMS quality improvement organization, a QIO, and in 2015. And there was a pilot project that started with CMS, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, uh, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, CDC, where we wanted to have 15% of the nation's nursing homes report an infectious disease, which is Clostridioides difficile infection, otherwise known as C. diff, into the CDC. And I was part of that pilot project where my organization that I was working for at the time, we recruited over 500 nursing homes to enroll into the CDC's National Healthcare and Safety Network. It's the, the database, national database for collecting healthcare-associated infection data. And I was able to, and then, so we recruited 500 nursing homes and worked with them to start capturing this information on this infectious disease. What what really blew me away at the time was when I really learned that every year there's an estimated one to three million infections that are occurring in this healthcare setting and that they lead to approximately 380,000 deaths every year, which if you add that up, it's a, over a thousand people dying every day in nursing homes from infections. And I kind of like to pause there and say, this was data that came out before COVID. So this is not capturing residents that may have become infected or healthcare workers from COVID. So when I saw those statistics, I was like, why aren't we doing more about this? And it, it really kind of catapulted me into the center of this industry to really to to bring awareness, advocacy, and ultimately change to change the, these uh, this these statistics. Well, what happened since 2019? Has the rate gone up a lot, or has it changed the you know the reason for death? Well, for these infectious diseases, you know, I talk in my book about that. I like to say they're only estimates because we don't truly know the burden of infections in long term care as far as all of our healthcare associated infections, such as skin and soft tissue infections, pneumonia, influenza, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of infections. We we have estimates nationwide. We we do we do collect certain data, but we're not collecting robust data in the sense that say we do it at our hospital level, uh, because it's actually not mandatory for our nursing homes to report their infectious disease data into the CDC's NHSN, um, such as our hospitals do. And so we don't fully know the burden. Um, and that's another area I'm advocating for is if we don't truly understand the problem, how can we work towards a solution? There, like I said, there's there we are reporting and there is surveillance, but it's it's not a national national in a national manner. And so we may know like individually what's going on at our nursing homes, but on a national level, we don't fully, we don't fully know it's more data that comes from hospitals or individual studies. So we really need more work in that area to truly understand the burden of the infections and deaths that are occurring from, from the infections in our long-term care industry. What do you mean? You mean that in, in nursing homes, they are reporting data? They're not reporting hospital data with it or what's missing? I don't understand. Yeah, so good question. So in our hospitals, the hospitals are are federally required to report healthcare associated infections such as MRSA, ventilator associated pneumonia, any any infection that we may get, 
when we go to a hospital is, is required to report it into the CDC. That same requirement is not there for nursing homes. And that's the gap. We need, we collect that information on a facility basis. Say I'm, I'm at nursing home A, nursing home A collects that information, but it doesn't go to a national, it's not nationally collected. And so we, from a public health perspective, it's difficult to know exactly what the true burden is nationally if we're not collecting that information across across the entire industry. Well, it seems like a nursing home and a hospital will be a revolving door, you know, especially when you have elderly people that probably have a lot of health conditions. So, uh, you know, if uh, Mrs. Jones has an infection, goes to the hospital, then she goes back to the nursing home two months later, get another infection, she goes back to the hospital, comes back. Do they count that as one person, one incident? Um, is the nursing home warned that, oh, we got someone coming in that, you know, has had the, this and that problem, so watch out? Or does the nursing home warn, hey, we got to send this person to the hospital, we can't take care of them, uh, this is what's going on in the home? Like, is there any communication like that? Too? Oh, sure. Oh, sure. I mean, I mean, that's that's a whole different scenario. But yes, there the infections are the number one cause for hospital readmissions from nursing homes. And so it's, this is what, you know, what part of my platform is to prevent infections from occurring in the first place. Um, but yes, they do contribute to ongoing hospitalizations and, and that, that definitely um, produces a challenge, but yes, of course, the hospitals and nursing homes communicate with each other. What's going on What when I'm talking about surveillance, I mean, like we, we must capture the, the information on a national level to truly understand, to work towards preventing these infections. So if we don't truly know what the problem is on a large scale basis, then it's difficult to implement prevention practices, resources, support, and funding to actually to have a reduction in these infections. For example, as I said, the hospitals are required by CMS to report their healthcare-associated infections to the CDC. This is not a requirement for nursing homes. What, what happens yearly then is the CDC actually produces a progress report for our hospitals, and it shows by state how well we're doing in reducing these healthcare-associated infections. We need the same process for our nursing homes. So we know in our nursing homes, okay, let's say we had we have a baseline of MRSA in our nursing homes. And in the next year, oh, we reduced it by 8% or we reduced it by 3% or it increased by 5%. You know, this data gives us understanding collectively of what we can do to address the problem. No, but in a hospital's records, do they say, does the CDC say, oh, okay, uh, MRSA was up 5%, but 80% of those cases came from, you know, nursing homes. Do they sure. know where the patients come oh, from sure. and can they, can they, trace it back at least to the home and alert them? Sure. So the, the, the facilities know, but we, they are, they are categorized based on hospital associated or community associated, meaning if they came before they were in the hospital, um, same for the nursing home. So let's say they had somebody that came in um, and on day three, they had C. diff and infection and they came from the hospital. It would be counted as an acute care onset. So it wouldn't be counted towards that long-term care setting. So counting wise, yeah, they're differentiated. Communication wise, yes, of course, we always know, you know, who has the infections and and they're being addressed at the at the facility level. 
Well, they are being addressed, or, or you're saying that the, it sounds like on one hand, we don't know where the infections come from, but on the other hand, we do? Like, what's the issue? Is that we don't know where the infections come from, or, uh, I mean, you're saying the nursing home knows, the hospital knows, but what's, what's the disconnect of the issue? So we know at a, a smaller level, of course, we know at a facility-wide level, we know at the nursing home level, we know at the hospital level. What I'm saying that the gap in our in our public health nationally is we're not keeping track nationally of all the infections that are occurring, um, let's say for our long-term care the same way as we are for our hospitals. So it's it's a different way that we're keeping track of them so that we can implement national programs to reducing them across the country. Okay. So what are the reasons for these, like, what are the top infections that cause people to be re-hospitalized that come from nursing homes and, you know, what, why do they happen? Yeah, so uh, a lot of the infections that, you know, some of the main infections are urinary tract infections, respiratory infections, skin and soft tissue infections. These are infections that are common across hospitals and nursing homes. They, they happen for a variety of reasons. Specifically in the long-term care industry, when you have infections, when you have people living in a congregate setting, meaning people live, you know, together, close contact, your risk increases, same as prisons, you know, anytime you have people living in these congregate settings, the, um, the risk increases for infections. And, and then within long-term care, infection control practices have been lagging behind just as an industry for many years. We, we've been focusing on other priorities such as reducing falls, um, antipsychotic use, other very important practices, but in reducing infections has not had the, the specialization, the special focus as it really needs to, and definitely does now with the pandemic. Um, and so it's really important that we implement prevention practices that can reduce the risk of even getting an infection in the first place. And that's really what, well, like, like, like what are some of those practices? What was the best advice so far? Or are you waiting for uh, something to happen in the national level? Why not at the individual level? I'm sure some nursing homes are stars compared to other ones that are like terrible. Oh, absolutely. So why not learn so from them? But Oh, absolutely. No, I'm not saying that we have to wait for a national national level. I'm saying we need to know nationally so that we can we can implement practices across the country and we can continue to work at this. But what individually, absolutely. So there are best practices and they really can be basic, such as your hand hygiene practices, you know, hand washing practices. I know that seems very elementary, but it's it's actually the the still the number one reason, even in hospitals, why in why um, bacteria and viruses are are transferred and, and then infections occur. And so in many facilities, um, what I find is some of these practices, even having access to uh, alcohol-based hand rub is missing. Having it, you know, the staff understand the importance of these practices. And especially in long-term care, because it's a challenge in the fact that many of the residents, they go there for skill. They're going to be there temporarily, maybe a couple of weeks. But in long-term care, that individual may live there for the rest of their life. And so we, we try to create this balance of a home-like environment 
versus an institutional environment such as a hospital. And so for many years, the practice wasn't to have like these alcohol-based hand dispensers everywhere because it made it seem too institutional. But the problem is if we don't have easy access to washing our hands, then it's very easy to transfer pathogens and then um, create infections. So I always like to start with the very basics, hand hygiene, um, the environment, how to, how it's being clean, you know, those types of things. Well, how is reporting at a national level going to um, change things if it's not going to be a top-down directive? Why, w- why would it be important to, again, report this nationally? What would that do? Well, if we don't, if we don't fully understand this, the problem, it's difficult to, to provide support and resources to fixing the problem. At the individual level, if, say, we know, oh, we have 100 infections a year, we can work on reducing them, then that's one thing. But what if nationally, this, you know, we know that if we know based on estimates, there's one to three million infections occurring every year, that's leading to over a thousand people dying every day. I mean, that's, that's a startling statistic. Like I said, they're estimates. So if we understood the true number, then nationally, we can have collaboratives. We can provide resources to the nursing homes, training, uh, support, and, and then we can actively work towards reducing these infections, even at a national level. This, I mean, why wouldn't we want to do that? <laughs> and then it, it, re, it also goes along with reducing antibiotic resistance, you know, not having, making sure that we're using antibiotics the right way for these infections so that we have what we need when we need it. So from a, from a public health perspective, it's, it's critical that we know at a national level, what we're dealing with so that we can work on this and, and reduce these, these harms across the country. So which infections lead to death and which ones are more of an annoyance and just use hospital resources and antibiotics? Well, ultimately, any infection can lead to death. Any infection can lead to sepsis and and somebody could die from it. So we want to prevent any, we want to prevent any and all infections, uh, specifically in long-term care, because our population is immunocompromised. They have comorbidities. They may have, you know, they're, they're more vulnerable because of their age. A simple UTI can turn, can, can turn into urosepsis and cause somebody to die urinary tract infection. So where, you know, you or me or somebody, you know, that doesn't have these other medical challenges may have a urinary tract infection, no big deal for somebody that's elderly or immunocompromised. They have, um, a weakened immune system, then it, it could actually lead to sepsis and they could die from it. Um, in one nursing home I was supporting, they had a scabies outbreak, um, which causes extreme itching in, in the skin. And a resident scratched himself so much that his, his skin became infected and he died. So this is why we, we have to look at all of the potential harms and, and, and to try to prevent them. It also costs, yeah, it costs the hospitals, it costs an estimated, you know, $500 million extra a year in these hospital readmissions. So, so this is money that we could save if we prevented these infections as well. Well, I'm sure all infections could be problematic and cause death, but, you know, based on the 80-20 rule, I would think that, you know, I don't know how much varies by, uh, by facility, but I would think there's a few that are really the big bad boys that uh, cause most of the readmissions and most of the deaths. So is there a skew to the data? Has anyone looked? 
Well, I'm not really sure. I, I mean, I haven't looked at that specifically, but what I can say is that urinary tract infections and respiratory tract infections are the number one reason for hospital readmissions. And then the infections that we really want to work on to prevent are the multidrug resistant organisms such as MRSA, the Canada Oris. I mean, these are some of the resistant organisms that that our antibiotics aren't working for anymore. And once a person becomes infected with this superbug, then they're no longer, they're no longer, it just leads to high mortality because they are not able to be treated with an antibiotic. So these are these are infections that we definitely want to work on preventing and mitigating. And again, in, in this healthcare setting, it can be challenging because you know they can be highly infectious and yet you know, our, our elderly are living close together. Um, so yeah, we, we definitely want to avoid the multi-drug resistant organisms, but every, every single infection and, and, you know, this is known for hospitals too. No infection is a, is an okay infection, you know, like as an infection preventionist, we're trying to prevent every single infection as as most as, you know, as much as we can. Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending bright daily capsules, powered by NeuroBloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While Sharp is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5. Well, it sounds like, um, you know, there may be a pathway. Someone gets a urinary tract infection, they go in, they get antibiotics, they come back. Maybe now they get a respiratory infection. They go in, they take more antibiotics, they yeah. come back. Maybe the third time now they are more prone to MRSA because they've recently got X number of courses of antibiotics. And now they're, you know, they've essentially fostered the uh, the creation of MRSA in themselves or in others. So I would think there would be, uh, you know, precursors to the infection that finally kills somebody in a nursing home and it creates this drug resistance. Is there a, a pathway that anyone's identified on what tends to happen first, next, and next, and what okay, if it finishes someone off? Well, it's not that simple. Um, you know, an infection causing death can happen in multiple ways. You know, you talk about an individual taking multiple antibiotics, let's say even um, for prevention, you know, they have an antibiotic and that may lead to C. difficile, the infection I was talking about. You don't know as an individual how that could affect you, but the um, the chance of, I mean, I just actually met with somebody that was, you know, close to my age and he had C. diff and it took him eight weeks to recover. And the chances of getting C. diff again are 50% and, and it can lead to, I mean, not just death, but the quality of life, you know, I mean, these, these multi-drug resistant organisms can cause such harm. I mean, the guy lost 30 pounds and, you know, he, his total gut is destroyed right now. So th- there is, you know, like I said, there is, we don't want any infections and the, the biggest ones, yes, that we're trying to avoid are those multi-drug resistant organisms. 
there is a problem in our communities of overprescribing antibiotics, which definitely lead to resistance, um, lead to other infections like C. diff. And, and so that's a whole other area that we work on in our hospitals, in our nursing homes is antibiotic um, stewardship, where it's not about not prescribing antibiotics, but about prescribing them the right way so that we can avoid having the, the resistance in our communities. Oh, so Buffy, um, you know, I know I've been talking to you about the nursing homes and the challenge of surveillance and data. I didn't ask you much about your book. I don't know if we covered what's in the book or if it's a different subject. Would you mind telling listeners a bit about your book, Broken, and what the topics are in there? Sure. Yeah, thanks. Um, so, you know, of course, we've all had our life altered with COVID. And work as somebody working with the nursing homes, I uh, jumped in pretty much at the beginning and started supporting nursing homes nationwide. I worked with Doctors Without Borders in Detroit, Michigan, and Houston, Texas, where we went on site in the nursing homes. And uh, collectively, I've been in over 200 nursing homes uh, when I was writing the book. And I just, the stories that I heard were the same, whether I was in Arizona or Michigan, Idaho or Texas. And it really seemed like a story that needed to be told and really a story from the nursing home perspective. You know, there's always, not always, but there's a lot of bad press um, often about nursing homes, about the horrible care. And of course there are challenges um, and struggles, but what I wanted to convey in this book is really showcase, just show the public what the nursing homes had to fight against. You know, they had no PPE, they duct taped garbage bags together. Um, they, they really did everything they could to prevent harm to their residents. And then I also talk about the regulatory system and how it's, we need regulatory, but what's happened is it's become this kind of this gotcha um, mentality where it's so nitpicky that in the middle of a crisis of the, of the pandemic, um, the nursing homes really, instead of support, they received punishment. And so I talk about how we move forward, the solutions, the solutions for implementing infection prevention practices. There are solutions and many of our facilities are implementing those solutions very well, but I really believe as a collective and as a society, we have an obligation to provide more support and funding for this industry um, so that they can be successful as, as they want to be, as they desire to be, to providing the highest level of care to our elders. Well, all right. So during the pandemic, what, they just didn't get any PPE, so they had to uh, make up their own, it sounds like? Yeah, the nursing homes were really the last uh, group. Well, so the public was really outraged that the hospitals couldn't get PPE, but we kind of forgot about the nursing homes. And so some of the clients I worked with in the beginning, they were duct taping garbage bags together. Um, They were using hospital gowns. You know, they just didn't have what they needed when the government did send them supplies. The first shipment that came in were these oversized tarps is what they look like that you actually had poke holes out the arms. Um, They were not they were not gowns. Uh, We never really, we didn't get N95 respirators until almost 2021. Many facilities were using KN95 masks from China. Um, And so as a result, we had 
we had a lot of our healthcare workers get sick and die. And I know that was true for hospitals too, but we really were on the last priority for getting PPE. And, you know, I was on site one day in Detroit and the, the state health department came in to test all the residents for COVID and they come, they come in head to toe and PPE and, you know, our poor, our poor staff didn't have anything. So it just really felt a little um, odd, you know, that our health department people came in full head to toe, hazmat suits and whatnot. And yet we didn't have anything for our, our nursing homes. I mean, so what can we call attention to at this point now that it's been, you know, two plus years uh, with the nursing homes? Like, you know, we can't go back in time, but what do you hope that the effect of your book will be on people that read it and decision makers that read it? Yeah, great question. Um, I'm really advocating for our workforce. And right now is a really important time because the Biden administration has called for hospital reform, has called for, um, you know, changing policies and practices. And so now really is the time to provide the support, not just money, but actual, you know, expert support resources in helping them to achieve infection control practices that can not only not only about COVID, but other infections that we talked about to reduce infections, to supporting the new infection preventionist that every facility is required to have, to increase the staff to patient ratio. I mean, how can you truly be successful, let's say as a nurse, if you have 17 patients to care for? I mean, how does that set you up for success? And so having higher staff to patient ratios, um, you know, really fixing the broken regulatory system instead of being so punitive to, to provide support and collaboration. Oh, how, how have you seen the regulatory system as punitive on uh, nursing homes? Well, in my book, I have about three chapters on that. Mm, Okay. Maybe a couple of bullet points. Yes. So we, like I said, um, in, in specifically in the time of the pandemic, anytime a nursing home, would have an outbreak, this, the regulatory, the state surveyors were required to come in and make sure everything was, was going okay. And from an outside perspective, that may seem like that's a good thing. But what's interesting is all state surveys were canceled for all healthcare settings, except for the nursing homes. And when the surveyors did come in, it was at a time in the middle of an outbreak, they usually had about half of their staff gone because they were either sick with COVID or quit and they don't have the PPE they need. And so then the surveyors hand out citations because they're not, they're not practicing, they're not delivering the highest quality of care. Well, under those circumstances, I don't, it's impossible to do everything hundred percent. And so it just became this kind of this gotcha mentality. Like I'm, I was talking about where the surveyors would come in and literally like tag the this facility if say a nurse didn't tie her gown the right way or one facility got tagged because two nurses didn't disinfect a pen after sharing it. I mean it was things that took away valuable time from the the facility and um and like I said I just it just really was that was the number one complaint I actually got from the nursing homes wasn't covid it was dealing with the state surveyors during the pandemic. What about the uh, wonderful idea of Governor Cuomo in New York to put COVID patients into nursing homes, which killed my mother, by the way. But what, wow. what are your thoughts on uh, what are your thoughts on that wonderful decision? Well, I'm really sorry to hear that, and I actually 
that I talk about that in my book that he's actually quoted in my book for doing that because what happened was he ordered all the nursing homes to take the resident or to take residents with COVID when they didn't have what they needed. Mm-hmm. And so I, I equate it exactly. to sending the frontline people, sending soldiers out to the front line without, without weapons, without protection. And that's exactly what happened. So they sent these, they sent patients to the nursing homes when the nursing homes, they didn't have what they needed. Half of their staff had quit, you know, they didn't even have the staff. Um, And so it was, it was a very bad situation, but that, that is what, and then, so, you know, then we bring in the regulatory and then, so let's say you don't have what you need now the government then funded the regulatory agency $80 million to go in and do these targeted infection control surveys on top of all that. So yeah. it just, you know, the, the, in, it, the makes no, it makes no sense. Instead of trying to solve right. the problem, they just send in people to push the blame. It sounds like onto the poor nursing homes. You know? Yeah. It just made it very difficult because what, if they received, if they received a citation, it took, it took, days and days to a lot of it was just jumping through hoops they had to get paperwork a lot of it was pushing paperwork for the regulatory agency to show they're in compliance i mean it took so much time away from the actual patient care because they had to comply with getting all this paperwork to this the states and it and the money it took away i mean it was just it was just appalling i mean i talk about that in my book and like i said that was the number one complaint from the the healthcare workers, the administrators of these facilities saying, like, just let us do what we need to do to, to take care of these residents, you know? Um, and mm-hmm. it just, it just, be, you know, they were burdened and it really started in the beginning, the first nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, that had the first outbreak in our country. It started with them. So they had their res, um, they had their outbreak, the nursing home administrator, called in a strike team from the CDC and begged them for help before they showed up, the state surveyor showed up, they ended up fine. They ended up and and the nursing home administrator called the governor and begged the governor to have them leave because they were taking precious time away from caring for the residents. Mm. And, and what ended up happening is the surveyor cited them and fined them over $600,000 worth of fines um, saying that they were not providing the highest level of care. It ultimately went to court and the facility won, but that's, that was the precedent. That's how it all got set. Um, CMS basically said, don't screw this up to the nursing homes yet. We're not, we don't have supplies for you. We don't have staff for you. We don't have what you need, but, but don't screw it up. Yeah. All right. So, you know, I, I apologize. Now I understand more so I'll just tell you as like a lay person, and I, I don't know how many people think this way, but I bet you a lot do. You know, my perception of nursing homes, having thankfully not been in one, is that, you know, they're there to make money. They don't care about the residents. They do the minimum. It's no wonder why people are getting infections because they're just left probably in their own filth. It is just my like yep. urban legend type knowledge, knowing nothing. So now I see the importance of your book, calling attention to all this, because it sounds like the nursing homes are in a literally an impossible situation and then they get blamed for all these problems and it worsens their public perception so yeah i i think i have a much better idea now so i appreciate the you know figure learning this and and communicating it to listeners just so you know well 
Thank you. And you know, one of the things in the very, in the introduction of my book, I say to people, what's it going to take? Because this is how we've, this is as a society, how we've chosen to care for our vulnerable and elderly. So what is it going to take for us to provide a safe environment? And what I tell you is I've sat with hundreds of people that work in these nursing homes and they care and they love our loved ones and they want to do the right thing, but they are literally in a straight jacket and are held to such, such um, impossible measures that it, it, it literally, like I said, if a rate, if the patient to staff ratio is 20 to one, let's say, how can you ultimately do what you need to do? So we need to change that and we need to change it to support the nursing homes instead of constantly throwing more punishment their way, which that's all on the docket right now too. I mean, there's a call, there's, there's a call to CMS or a call to Congress right now to, to, to supply 500 million towards the state surveyors. And I say, can you imagine what we could do with 500 million if we actually had experts coming in and supporting these nursing homes and working alongside of them? And that's what I do in my practice. I actually go in and I work with the facilities and I teach them and I coach them. And 100% of the time out of their mouth, I hear this is what we need more of. We need this kind of support and collaboration, not just constant punitive. Yeah, this is just my advice. I know you haven't asked for it, whatever, but I guess be care- be careful. You know, if you want this national attention, um, with that could come the wrong national attention. It could be very politicized and it could actually hurt the nursing homes a lot. So like, I know the word has to, you know, get out, but I, just, I guess I feel like you're also in an impossible position too, because if something happens unexpected, I wonder if it would make it worse for the homes instead of better. It's like, how do you help these places without getting whacked you know, we're becoming like a pawn in, in some politicians' political game or Congress's game to, that makes it worse. Well, I'm independent. So, you know, that helps. And the other thing is, I, I we do need regulations. I'm not saying we don't. So mm. we, abso- we absolutely do need the regulatory division, the regulatory part. Before regulations there, we were doing all sorts of things that we weren't right either. So I'm, I'm calling for a balance. You know, I'm not saying do away with the regulations because we do. And I'm, I'm also not suggesting that everything is rosy and, and perfect in the nursing homes because it's not. And there needs to be accountability. I mean, there's big corporations now and big investors that take a lot of money that should go to the frontline staff. And so this problem is much, much wider than what we just have a few minutes to talk about today. And, and I'm saying we need more attention and focus on it. And instead of the easy way out of just saying, ah, let's just find them more, let's cite them more. Like that's kind Mm -hmm. of the, that's kind of old school, easy way out. Let's really invest in this industry and let's really do the right thing. Um, And it, 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 there's many different areas, right? And so this is, this is my, my perspective, but I think what's unique about this book is not just me writing it. I actually interviewed people in the field. I interviewed regulatory agencies. I interviewed academic uh, researchers who've been researching this industry for many years. It, I you know interviewed patients, and I you know so it's a it's a good collection of of personal stories that really show from many different perspectives what's needed to change in the system, and and that's what I'm advocating for. So. So what do you think from the perspective of the regulators and the control, the people that are controlling this, you know, Congress, regulators, et cetera, where's the, uh, the disconnect? Well, right now, you know, it's like any other industry. So I, and I talk about the regular, I talk about the regulatory system in my book and that broken system it's in chapter 12. And 
I talk about the, that system itself is broken. I actually interviewed a former bureau chief and um, who used to um, be a, the surveyor and also used to basically train the surveyors. And the way that it used to be is, you know, they, first of all, it had, you had to have like, you had to be a nurse or you had to, um, you had to go through special training. Um, you had to have mentoring. And now a lot of that's just done away with. And so now it's just kind of like online training and then you're out in the field and there's just not that the, uh, it's a workforce issue there too. And, and the, there's more and more and more and more regulations. So it even becomes more difficult for the surveyors to keep up and to really know what they're looking for. So then it lends itself to kind of this nitpicky approach where, oh, you didn't tie your gown. Oh, that's an easy citation. Or you didn't, you know what I mean? So that's, that's what happens. Um, and then it's also very subjective. So you may, and it can work the opposite way too. So if a surveyor doesn't find something wrong, even if there is something wrong, then the facility thinks, oh, we're doing good because we passed our survey. Well, that's not right either. We need to stop just basing our practice off of what a surveyor says or doesn't say. And we need to implement our practices based on what is the evidence and what is the best practices. And because you can have a surveyor who doesn't know any different, and then then the facility thinks they're okay and they may not be. So we need more education in for the surveyors. We need to have some more checks and balances with that as well. But but along with that, we need we need the collaborative support as well. Well, I was just gonna say some of these these things that I'm suggest suggesting are not um completely like out of the sky. Like we already we do have an CMS actually the 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 government entity that that has the regulatory site also has the quality improvement organizations that is there for support collaboration um, that's like what I said who I worked with in 2015 um, when I first started this type of work and but we just need more fun, but their budget has been slashed and slashed and slashed to where they you may have five people working with you know, hundreds and hundreds of nursing homes, how much work can you really do that's good there? Almost virtually no on-site support because, you know, you, you don't have the staff for that. So that's why I'm saying we need to invest more in the quality improvement organizations that are there to provide that support and collaboration um, and even the private sector and other areas to provide that support. Okay. And then uh, last question for you, are you more hopeful after listening to all these people or are you kind of in despair? Like what a gigantic problem this is like what are your thoughts at this point when I first started writing the book I wrote the book honestly out of I felt an obligation to the nursing homes I didn't think it was a coincidence that I was in so many buildings across the country and literally hearing the exact same story like verbatim I was like okay this story needs to be told because the general public doesn't understand this at all and so that's how it started and then I was writing it based on my own expertise in infection prevention and control as I did these interviews, I learned more about the other issues that is like regulatory. I didn't really understand the issues with that. And so honestly, you know, two thirds of the book is about the problem, but then the last third is about the solution. And I've already started another book on more of the solutions. So I am hopeful and I have to have hope that there is a solution. And there are many, many nursing homes that I'm even interviewing now for the second book that are in the solution and they're doing an amazing job. And I want to showcase that to say it is possible to have a facility that operates at a high, high level. Um, and, and, you know, that I would feel comfortable having my loved one there if I needed it. 
Um, but I do get in despair too, I, you know, because the problem is huge and it requires a lot of decision makers to make these right changes. Um, but it, it's going to require advocacy from not only professionals like myself, but the general public um, and people that can um, stand up and say our loved ones deserve better. And I think the more that we collectively do that, the, the better we can improve in, in this industry. Okay. Well, very good. So where's the best way for people to find out more about your work? I mean, they can get the book broken. Uh, can you, you know, re-say the title? And then uh, in addition to that, where can they find out more about this problem? Yeah. So my book, Broken, How the Global Pandemic Uncovered a Nursing Home System in Need of Repair and the Heroic Staff Fighting for Change. You know, this book talks about the, inf- the, the challenges with infections prior to the pandemic. And then really through my observations of over 200 nursing homes, seeing what challenges the nursing homes have and how we can support them and help them um, to deliver to, to, to deliver the best care possible. And they can, people can find me at my website, ipcwell.com or uh, Dr. Dr. Buffy at IPCWell, books on Amazon. Okay, very good. Well, Dr. Buffy, thanks so much for coming on the call. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Do you struggle with concentration? Have you ever thought of your brain health long-term? Bomar Nutrition is revolutionizing the nootropic and cognitive health industry with sharp nootropic powder and patent-pending bright daily capsules, powered by NeuroBloom. If you struggle with focusing, think of Sharp as brain food that supports concentration. Sharp works with your natural brain chemistry to provide a heightened sense of well-being that can delay cognitive decline and also increase mood. Bomar Sharp tastes amazing and comes in many different flavors available in caffeinated and non-caffeinated versions. While Sharp is a short-term aid in cognitive health, think of Bright Daily Capsules as a way to improve overall brain health and prevent cognitive decline long-term. As we age, so does our brain. Supplementing with Bright has the potential to delay this aging process and helps your brain function optimally. Stay ahead of the curve and order yours today at bomarnutrition.com and save $5 off with code GENIUS5. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.